0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, February 10th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. I'm in New York, trapped here by snow. Norlander is in North Carolina, one day removed from his first trip to Cameron Indoor for a Duke North Carolina game. So let's uh, let's start there. We'll get to. Uh, the UCLA Oregon game in a second because it was fabulous. Happened after Duke North Carolina, but uh, first, Norlander, your thoughts on your first trip to Cameron Indoor Stadium?
1: Yeah, great to be here. I'm coming to you from uh, some sort of interview room here on Duke's campus. Shout out to uh, Duke SID Corey Walton for hooking it up and and letting us get this podcast done because it's been it's kind of been a wild past you know sixteen hours. GP, um, amazing experience. Building was actually. A little bit bigger than I expected when I walked in because you told me it's it's small and a lot of people often speak about how small Cameron Indoor is. And so when I walked in, I was with uh, one of the guys here that kind of helps maintain the building. He's like, you know what? A lot of people say that because I think it's going to be like extraordinarily small. So they, they are, they're always a little bit surprised by um, the relative size to it. But an amazing environment was uh, <laughs> at one point before – I think someone had tweeted this maybe three or four minutes after I saw it, but I, I, I looked across and I was like, wait a second, is that J.J. Reddick? <laughs> it was J.J. Reddick in like a white T-shirt, uh, just like second row right behind the scores table. Uh, Leitner was in the house. Uh, Austin Rivers was in the house. And there might have been some other people, um, but packed to the gills. And just as I expected it, in terms of covering the game, and we'll get to the actual events of the game in just a second here, but um, covering the game – And the students right behind me, Ryan Fagan, who works at Sporting News, said, hey, listen, man, if you want to ensure that you'll kind of be taken care of the Duke Media Room, which is relatively small because it's such an old building, uh, it has, you know, sodas and waters and all this stuff stocked away. He's like, just bring a few water bottles out to the students. And that way, uh, one, if they're thirsty, they'll they'll use them. But they'll, they'll also, you know, if you take care of them, they'll they won't, uh, treat you too badly. So I did, I hooked, I hooked up a few students with some water. They were very much, uh, protective and and aware of my space, but at that still at the same time, you know, they were right on top of me and it's, it's a great experience, man. I I just, it's, uh, it's awesome. You just, you don't get this anywhere else in sports, like literally right behind, um, right in front of the student section. And it's, it's fantastic. I, I'm mad that it took me this long to get down here to finally experience this. And on top of that, the game was fantastic. 17 lead changes, nine ties. Carolina really played well, considering it didn't have Isaiah Hicks. Um, what was interesting was seeing up close how frequently uh, the Duke players really, after after a big play, they you know body language and, and eye contact. They really feed off, off the energy of the crazies being right there. It is, it is something that's extremely visceral. And, uh, and I loved it. I was in my seat more than an hour before tip. Cause you kind of got to get there. And then at the end I wrote about it uh, at CBS sports, but one of the writers here had said, listen, man, at the end of the game, you've got to get your stuff and you've got to be ready to go at the buzzer because if they win, the players are going to all come over and they're going to slap, slap hands with all, with all the fans. And, you're right there, so you will, will be just squished and stuck, and you're not going to be able to get out of there. So I forgot about this because it was a close game, and I'm trying to establish my story, GP. And sure enough, I like I, I try and get my computer unplugged. I'm like diving under the table to get my backpack. I can't. It's like stuck on a chair. I can't get it out in time, and I feel the bodies like getting closer and closer to me. And I stand up to leave, and there's just like you know this girl is just like "Uh uh-uh you missed you missed your window buddy this is not gonna happen it's too late you are stuck here and before I knew it like Matt Jones and Grayson had like come across and I'm literally like awkwardly holding my computer and my backpack against my chest as the crush like it just comes and I was just like yep this is definitely going in the story so it was a It was kind of a rite of passage. I was actually worried that my shirt was going to be totally ruined. It was not, though. The paint had dried at that point. So awesome experience. Love it. And obviously it's something that anyone that can – Uh, should absolutely try to see Duke Carolina in person at Cameron because the experience cannot be duplicated
0: as for the game Duke of course wins 86 78 Grayson Allen had 25 points and three assists three rebounds in uh, 30 minutes he fouled out with I think 62 seconds left like a minute two seconds left Uh, but by then uh, I don't know that the game was decided but it certainly looked like it was going to go in Duke's direction like you said no Isaiah Hicks for North Carolina that matters he's or their third-leading scorer and third-leading rebounder, but, you know, uh, listen, you never want to overreact to these things, but, like, Duke is healthier than it's been all season, even if Harry Giles still isn't what most projected him to be. Mike Krzyzewski is back after missing seven games because of a back surgery. I'm not telling you I'd take him on a neutral court against anybody right now, but they're at least... Or you tell me, you were sitting up close. They look like they're starting to to take form a little bit and get a little closer to what a lot of people thought they could be, which is a legitimate national title contender.
1: Right. So I resist the urge to call this the, the Duke turn the corner game because honestly, this would have been the fourth one. This has happened. OK, right. so we cannot keep doing this. that every time Duke has a good game, they suddenly it's the turning point because that's eventually you're just you're walking in a square. OK, so that's they have uh, one straight, though. Yes. So there's legit. So here's what I'm getting at. So there's legitimacy with that. Grayson's had a tremendous run here. He's averaging better than 21 points over this stretch. I still think Kennard's the most uh, important player uh, on this team with what he's been able to do. He he had 20 last night. was very consistent and hit shots in big spots as well. Grayson rightfully got a lot of the uh, the pub because he hit seven threes and Tatum had a huge second half. Kennard was still very important, but when you look at what happened, when you take yes they were on their home floor and no Caroline didn't have Hicks, but when you see. That it was Duke's first win in like five games against a, a top ten ranked team. And you see that Tatum, Allen, and Kennard all had at least 19 points. They looked to be playing pretty well overall. They got even nice first half contributions from Frank Jackson, who hit some big shots. This was uplifting if you're a Duke fan, knowing that the team is now showing signs that it can it can still be this dangerous. And it does seem like they're clicking. I did speak with Harry Giles. Uh, one-on-one earlier on Friday and he had I asked him about this specifically I said listen there's been some speculation and a lot written about the fact that Duke does not you guys did not seem like you were in sync it didn't look like you were getting uh, flowing well on the, on the floor was there legitimacy to that critique and he explained he's like listen from the very start He's like, he basically said he understood all that, but he said, we have not, we've had like three practices where everyone that's involved with our team has been in the, has been on the floor at once. That's coaches and players and all of it. Right. And so he, he understood that criticism and thought some of it was, was valid, but at the same time, you know, from his perspective on a day to day basis, some of it was canards just starting off so well. And now it They're thinking and hoping that this will finally be gelling uh, at the right stage here. That said, they do have Virginia coming, so we'll see what happens. But, yeah, there's there's plenty of reason. If you want to say, GP, that after what they did last night, that it's hard to discount Duke – as a serious shortlist Final Four threat, I cannot reject that because ultimately when you look at it, when they're fully intact and fully healthy, and by the way, Krzyzewski also said that Matt Jones and Emile Jefferson are still dinged up and they can't fully practice. So even when they're looking this good, yeah, it is still hard. I, one of the lines I had in my story was, we can't quit this team. We can't quit Duke because they're still too promising. They still tease us just enough that it's it's it will be hard to, to look at them in a bracket whether they're seeded second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, and say that this team wouldn't make the second weekend because the promise of what they have, we've now seen too many examples of how good they can be to totally write them off.
0: Well, people you know, sort of roll their eyes when you say, hey, look, Duke is still, despite everything you've read over the past two months, Duke is still a legit Final Four contender. And people go, oh, yeah, of course. But, but like, how about this then? Name me four teams that are obviously and clearly better than
1: Duke. Ah. Uh, <laughs> OK, so that's a lo- I think that's a loaded question because there are not four that are obviously and clearly better than Duke. There are four. That, th- okay, there are just, four. Yeah. There
0: are four. There are more than four that have had better seasons that have there better resumes. But name me four teams that are like if you put them on a neutral court with Duke tomorrow, you would say, yeah, that team's going to handle Duke. No problem.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that, that you can't. No, it, not so four. it's a matter of balancing who's had the better seasons. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't, ha- just, like, I, I wouldn't
0: have Duke a top three seed in the country right now. I don't – oh, maybe uh, I would have him – maybe I would I mean, have him uh, – four,
1: four sounds about right, I think, after last night. I think
0: that's – Yeah, I'd have him maybe a three or a four seed. But I wouldn't – you know, I wouldn't have him a top two seed. I'll, I'll say that. But but am I confident every one and two seed that the selection committee is going to announce tomorrow um, would beat Duke on a neutral court? I'm not – no. Like, they still got – uh, more good pieces than basically everybody in the country, and 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 they got the greatest coach of all time. Uh, those two things should not be uh, discounted.
1: Uh, I agree. And as for Grayson, listen, he he definitely had the kind of game that I think was validating to him in terms of. I think he, I, and I try not to overstate this or over read too much into it, but I talked to him. I talked to some people. Uh, surrounding the Duke program. And it does seem like, and the hope is like within the past couple of weeks, he has simply accepted, truly like accepted what his reputation is. He's going to be the most hated player in the game. He can't control that. He's doing his best to handle uh, some crap that other teams have thrown at him and fans and all that stuff. And he appears, this changes the instant something bad happens, obviously, but he appears to. Have found a happy balance there, and he even said last night in the locker room that, um, you know, while he's had a good game and he's had a good run, he does feel like, you know, he's playing for the team. He's not going to kill himself if, if, you know, shots go up and they don't happen to fall. They were falling last night, and it was, it it was really something, man. I mean, between that and Tatum, and here's here's my primary takeaway: it did not seem. And, and, you know, when you're in a moment, GP, it's such a different experience. When you watch a game up close and you watch it on TV, do you feel this way? Like it's it's two different experiences. When I when I watch a game, when I watch Duke on television compared to seeing him in the flesh feet away, I I just I I see it through a different lens, I guess. And when I watched them last night, I did not feel as though Tatum's second half was about Tatum having to get his. I, I did feel that it was a lot of it was in. The natural flow of the offense. He might have had one or two shots that were ill-advised, um, and then Cunard is just—he just his rhythm is insane, and he can just put up 20, and it's just like, yeah, that—that that was a, a correct 20, if you will. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with this team, but we'll see. I, I still think they're going to take on another. Two or three losses before we get to Selection Sunday. We sure. it out.
0: Yeah. They'll, no, they'll lose again. Everybody in the ACC is going to lose again. Um, but I, I'm just saying, once a single elimination tournament starts, a 40-minute basketball game, the team with nine McDonald's All-American that is mostly healthy and has Coach K on the sideline, like, they're a factor. doesn't mean they'll even win their first—like, they could they, they could run into Lehigh. You know, Whatever. Um, probably not Lehigh this season, but you get the point I'm making. They could, um, you know, they, they could get bounced in the first weekend like, like basically any other team. But do they have a chance? Do they are they starting to look the part? Yes, they have a chance. I think they're starting uh, to look the part. Let me tell you about SeatGeek real quick. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has Uh, Been a confusing process for a long, long time. You don't know where to go. Do, Do you check this app, that app? Do you go to this website, that website? You don't know if you're getting ripped off. Don't know if you're getting the best price. SeatGeek fixes all of that. They handle price comparison for you because they search multiple ticket sites to ensure you get the best possible deal. So next time you're trying to go to a basketball game, baseball game, concert, doesn't matter. Before you check any other place, check SeatGeek first. They're gonna ensure you get the best deal by handling the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to download the SeatGeek app. You're going to purchase tickets. You're going to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. And then SeatGeek going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase, right? So that's what I do when I need concert tickets or basketball tickets or football tickets, anything. It's what Norlander uh, did recently when he was buying tickets to a game. It is what you should do as well. You can go to the website or you can download the app. SeatGeek app. Purchase tickets. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB and SeatGeek is going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's the deal. Go do it. SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. So I know you were riding uh, last night after North Carolina and Duke and thus uh, missed, I'm assuming, every minute of UCLA, Oregon. But boy, you missed a, a fun one. And I guess... Uh, by definition almost like you get this UCLA team and this Oregon team on the same court it's like gonna be fun the one at Oregon was tremendous and this one was as well UCLA goes down by 19 points 19 points in the first half and they come back and uh, win Lonzo Ball was awesome down the stretch had a weird stat line like he finished with uh, 15 points 11 rebounds and only one assist like can you imagine a a, a basketball game that uh, in which Lonzo ball plays 38 minutes and only got one assist, but, um, he made big plays down the stretch, uh, did all of the things that, you know, intrigue, uh, NBA scouts. And, uh, the biggest thing was, and uh, the focus of, of the criticism directed at UCLA in recent weeks, and we've talked about it on this sh- podcast, um, has been their just lack of defense. Like, they just they, they can't guard anybody. And that was true uh, for much of last night's game. But in the final 14 minutes against Oregon, uh, UCLA's offense averaged 1.43 points per possession. For people who don't follow that type of stuff, that's really good. And UCLA's defense... it's Anything ins- above 1.3 is, is great. 1.4 is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, okay, so let's just use that word. Ridiculous. UCLA's defense held Oregon to 0. 0.65 points per possession in the final uh, 14 that's minutes of last night's game. They guarded him like crazy.
1: And that's, some uh, that's a bonkers that's a bonker split point. You said .65. .65. That comes right, so. from
0: Corey Alford. Uh Corey Alford Who? Oh, shout, yeah. Shout, shout out to
1: Corey Alford.
0: Shout out to Corey. Shout out to the whole, all the Alfred kids. As far as I'm concerned, that means uh, shout out to Corey. Shout out to Bryce. Shout out to Kayla. Uh, uh, Corey uh, uh, tweeted that earlier today. I retweeted it. Uh, the stat is this: UCLA offense in the final 14 minutes, 1.43 points per possession. We've described that as ridiculous. And the defense held Oregon to 0. 0.65 points per possession. That's how. And this is what I tweeted. That's how you dig out of a big hole against a really good team and uh, get a win in what looked like a, an amazing environment at Pauly Pavilion. You don't always get that, but it looked tremendous last night. And uh, just a, a great win for UCLA that I think uh, reestablishes them. And I, I'm not trying to be a prisoner of the moment, but I think reestablishes them as you know, a legitimate Final Four contender. I, I know people, and including myself, I, I wrote about this, had started to question them because, like, uh, listen, I, the offense is so good, I, I guess they can outscore anybody, but can you outscore four straight opponents? Can you outscore five? Can you outscore six? Because that's what you got to do to win a national championship. Well, the truth is you won't have to outscore people uh, if you can guard at all. And last night in the Final 14 minutes, I don't know whether Steve just got through to him or something clicked or Oregon contributed to it. Uh, contributed to it but uh, they they looked like a team that oh wow when they when they guard like this I don't know how you mess around with them a lot of people tweeted you know if UCLA guarded like this um, they would be undefeated and the clear national title favorite and I think that's probably true because like this was (laughs) 0.65 points per possession while your offense is absolutely rolling it was a fun final 14 minutes uh, for everybody I think except for Oregon fans
1: well, yeah, uh, that split is insane. For a 14-minute run, 1.43 down to 0. 0.65 uh, allowed on on defense is uh, something that is really hard to sustain over five minutes, let alone 14. Uh, so huge. We'll see if that That's ends up being said. something that uh, UCLA can build off of that That indicates to me that also Oregon must have gotten unlucky and in, in missing some shots that because if you hold a team under point eight, you're doing a great job. Like again, like under point seven is just they, to put it differently, like the best teams in the country on a per game basis defensively this year or in a given year will be average. It will allow point eight seven point eight eight. And for Ucla to keep Oregon a solid offensive team. Uh, at .65 is, is insane. It does wonders for their resume, because they've got the road win against Kentucky. This is now a second huge win. Uh, UCLA had been lacking that. All their other victories were against bubble teams or not even bubble teams, like against the likes of Ohio State and whatnot. So this evens out the season series. Might end up giving Arizona the Pac-12 title. Um, we'll see how that ends up playing out. Um, but certainly very big. GP, since I didn't see the game, How did Brooks? how did Brooks play and... I mean, I, if Oregon was up big at early, I'm, I'm just curious about how they looked overall because I do still think that Oregon has a lot of danger to them in a good way because I still, I still think they're really reliable around the rim. I do, I do have enough faith that Brooks could... Like, if you told me, Parrish, if you told me that Oregon was in the Elite Eight because Dylan Brooks averaged 28 points in the first three games of the tournament, I think he's totally capable of doing that and helping lift that team. How did he look and how did they look overall, eliminating the fact that, obviously... UCLA just completely shut them down in the final 15 minutes.
0: Well, to uh, uh, circle back to a point you made there, like, uh, did Oregon miss? Yes, Oregon missed some shots. It wasn't all just like, oh, my God, UCLA's guarding at a level. Oregon can't do anything. Oregon did miss some shots. But to to focus on that too much is to take away from, I, I think, the undeniable reality that UCLA, like, um, uh, perhaps for the first time this season, you know, seemed to understand – Okay, we're shooting fifty percent from the field. This is about as good as it gets from us. We can't catch them unless we start guarding. We can't. We're like we're not going to be able to catch them. We have to. We have to do something on the defensive end because we're we're doing well on the offensive end, but we cannot catch them. And so uh, something clicked. And uh, you know, credit to Steve. Credit to UC, the, the players. Um, uh, did Oregon contribute to those numbers? Yes, um, but it was mostly us, UCLA. Uh, guarding. Dylan Brooks was uh, tremendous early, like dunked on the whole team. Have you seen that highlight yet? I have not. Uh, there's one, like, yeah, he, like, he's got the ball on the perimeter and, like, I think dunked over three UCLA players. Like, it was really, really good. He finished with 19 points. He made five three-pointers, um, missed some shots late. Um, but he was good. I, Oregon was good. I mean, here's the thing. Like, you know, I, I, I think we get so caught up on um, – well, this team's lost two straight, or this team's lost. You know Like Notre Dame fell out of the top twenty-five on Monday, which I just think's ridiculous. I mean, you go look at the games that they had lost. You know, heading into uh, this week, like they're they're mostly they're they're all games to like great opponents, except for Georgia Tech, and the Georgia Tech loss was you know in Atlanta against a team that had also beat North Carolina. Like, Notre Dame, I still think, is a top-25 team. It's just, like, people look at the W's and the L's, and they draw big conclusions. So Oregon, yeah, they took an L last night. But on Saturday, they beat the crap out of Arizona, and they took an L last night because the best offensive team in America, like, looked like that, but also started guarding. And what are you going to do? You know, it was still a close game in the final minute. So I don't come out of that thinking any differently than I thought about Oregon. In fact, uh, and. and you know, you know, this isn't the way an AP voter or a typical AV, AP voter would handle last night's result. I didn't even move Oregon. They lost. I had them sixth in the top 25 and one. They're still sixth in the top 25 and one. Like, what did Oregon do last night? Lost a game that it was supposed to lose, according to odds makers, by four points. They lost it by three points. You know, they lost a game, um, you know, on the road to a legitimate, you know, Final Four contender. Um, you know, by less than what oddsmakers thought they were supposed to lose it by. I'm not going to punch them for that. So I didn't. Uh, they were six in the top 25 yesterday. They're they're sixth again today. So Oregon was fine. It's just like, you know, none of these teams in in the entire country are so overwhelming that they can't get caught you know, by a by a good opponent. I don't even mean like a great opponent like UCLA. Like, I mean a, a legitimate top 20 team. If you've got to play a legitimate top 20 team on the road in this season, I don't care who you are. Villanova, Kansas, Baylor, doesn't matter. You're at risk. And I, that's been a theme throughout the, this college basketball season. I think it will continue throughout this college basketball season. And, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, you know, Louisville, I mean, Oregon took a loss, but it it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me think any differently of them. They they looked good. They just, somebody's got to lose the game, you know?
1: Yeah, okay, real quick. The other one from trying to think because I, I yeah i was just so busy with uh post game stuff and and filing columns and whatnot i know indiana lost at home to purdue i did i saw the controversial blarge
0: yeah we got um, a tweet from a guy named joe Burgoff. he said please address the worst call in the history of the game on your okay, next podcast so, i don't know if it was the worst I, call in the history of the game but like well i've never seen that right. before it's a it's a one one official calls a block other official calls a charge it's thomas bryant driving on caleb Swanigan. They can't figure it out, or or at least they don't yeah. make a definitive call. So they just call a, a a foul on both, and it fouled both of them out of the game.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Uh, well, listen, diligent readers know that I had a story in the in the off season. I know probably like four people listening remember this, but I would this was this was a directive. We have not had as many double fouls this season as as was indicated might happen. But um, in talking to the head of officiating for the NCAA uh, in the preseason, this was something that they expected to encounter a little more frequently. The call is so visually (laughs) unsatisfying because it looks like a charge. Now it's hard. It was a charge. You can make, you can make if you want to, you can make the case that it's a block. But it's it's so much more easily determined to be a charge. I get why they made the call. They both fouled out. Listen, I, if you're an Indiana fan, I, I get why I frustrate you. But two questions for you, GP. One, does, does that even affect Indiana losing the game, that call? And two, would you right now – I know Doster tweeted this. I saw it last night. He would say the Hoosiers aren't going to make the tournament. Now, they've got two great wins. Um, I – man, I'm close I'm close to saying it. I don't know if I if I can say it now. But where do you stand on them and their uh, NCAA tournament outlook?
0: The – the truth is, like at this point, I mean, you can, I mean, you can say and tweet whatever you want, and I don't, I'm not trying to like whatever. Like Rob knows what he's doing, but like, have you looked at some of the teams that are projected to make the NCAA I tournament? I know it's <laughs> it, <laughs> like
1: every <laughs> year we go through this. I understand that. Like the teams, here's the thing, and and uh, apologies on interrupting you, no, but no, no. the the fact of the matter is, with Indiana is. Uh, the committee is going to have to resolve what it's going to do with the OG situation. And on the other hand, GP, there are no teams, zero, that would be on the theoretical 10, 11, 12 line that have two wins nearly as good as Indiana's.
0: None. I mean, you start looking at some of these teams that are like on the bubble, it's like really that team? Like seriously? I, I, I every time somebody starts talking about, and like I said, Rob knows what he's doing. He's not like some fan just popping off. He, he's looked at it. I, I trust that. But like. You get it from fans all the time, where they're like, "There's no way that team's going to make the tournament," or you know, and you're like, "Put down, put pen to paper, go, 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 make me a list of 68, because you run out of good teams pretty quickly." It's why I'm never, um, I never have sympathy for a coach who talks about getting screwed on Selection Sunday as it relates to, um, you know, making the NCAA tournament at least a Power Five or a Power Conference coach. Because you had plenty of opportunities, and if you didn't make it, you you just aren't good. You just your team wasn't any good. Because like it, it's you run out of good teams pretty quickly, and so I understand the concerns about Indiana. They've lost four of their past five. Um, OG is is gone for the season. Um, the, you know their last two regular season games are going to be played on the road but I, I would just say this, A, what you said, they've got two massive wins and, and those matter. They, they might be discounted some because they came with OG and he's not around anymore, but um, they're still on the resume. When the committee starts comparing Indiana to other so-called bubble teams, um, they're going to have two things in that column that, that the other bubble teams just don't have. And and that's going to matter. Um, and then, And then, like, Right now, they're projected to to finish eight and ten in the Big Ten, but obviously, you know that's that's according to Ken Palm. But obviously, you can turn eight and ten into ten and eight pretty easily, or or it, certainly into nine and nine. Then you get in the Big Ten tournament, you win a game, what then you're in. You know, so I understand the concerns, but I'm not ready to definitively say Indiana's not making the NCAA tournament because um, if you're in the Power Conference and you've got two wins like the wins they have in their in your back pocket. Um, you know, you, you, you're always a win or two away from, from getting back in, in, into a good place with the selection committee. I, I think it's probably too early to definitively say that. It's only February 10th.
1: Okay, Fair enough. Want to talk the weekend?
0: Um, well, one other thing. Uh, a guy named Brian, since we're uh, now taking questions from Twitter, but this is wild and we haven't recorded since this happened. A guy named Brian Keeper said, uh, any chance you and Matt could give VCU some run this week? What VCU has done in the past week has been, like, I don't don't know if it's unprecedented. I even asked our researchers at CBS Sports Network if they could look it up, and they basically just said there's no way to look this up. But uh, on Saturday and then again on Wednesday, they were behind, first at St. Bonaventure and then at GW. They were behind. They fell behind. Because of a three-pointer in the final second twice. When they get the ball back, there's 0.4 second. There's less than a half a second on the clock. And they won both games. While recognizing there's no way to know for sure. Can you imagine that's ever happened before?
1: I, I could not imagine it. And That in back-to-back
0: game, a team falls behind with less than a half a second on the clock and wins both games.
1: And... And yeah, and both situations are extremely uh, controversial because there's an argument to be made that VCU should not have been. Now, granted, they won an overtime after this happened, but they shouldn't have been the beneficiary of that technical foul at the St. Bonaventure game. And then the play, who were they playing? I don't have their thing up in front of me. Who was who was the the charge on the out of bounds play? Who were they? Who did they just beat? G W. It was G W. Okay, so um, that is like. So like I, I used to ref games, right? That's a classic, like if you do freshman basketball, you don't call that. Because the play is designed in theory to draw the cheap foul, right? But it's 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 basically barring anything ridiculous. It shouldn't have been called. It was in my opinion, it's a miscall. call. You don't run the blind side screen on the movable out of bounds play uh and call that a charge. And yet it was and, then, and so VCU ends up getting the win. And what this has done, GP, is the A10 is having a really down year. And unfortunately, we just haven't had much reason to talk about the A10 because it's not having a good year. It's fighting to get two bids. VCU has kept its at large case alive thanks to two calls that I will say two calls that should have not happened. And if that would have gone down like that, VCU would be 17-7, and 7, not 19-5, and 5, and VCU would not be a bubble team. It would not be in the conversation to make the NCAA tournament because its non-conference schedule is not nearly good enough. Now it's just – it's on the periphery right now. So, yeah, I mean if you're, if you're a Rams fan, you're, you're clearly living a charmed life. If you're a, a Bonnies fan or a GW fan, you're obviously frustrated because your teams are – your teams have some talent on them. Have gone through uh, something of a rough stretch. The league has been a letdown, and now you're seeing VCU get these breaks. And, and listen, good on Will Wade. He's he's there. Will Wade's my guy. They 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 definitely have enough on that team to steal a game in the tournament. I firmly believe that. But VCU should probably be 17 and seven right now, in my opinion.
0: Should definitely be 17 and seven right now, and and I think everybody's opinion. Uh, I, I, I guess I would say this: if you take the game by game. First off, the GW game, the one where there was the, the charge call uh, in the final second that led to a one-and-one. And, one. and then I believe it was Juquan Lewis, I, I think that's who it was, who knocked down both free throws so they win the game. So I tweeted, yo, turn turn to CBS Sports Network. VCU's about to pull out another miracle win second time in five days or whatever it was. So I, I apparently had a lot of college basketball coaches who were at home cl- you know, click over and they watched it. And literally every one of them that text messaged me uh, said, there's no way the official should have made that call. Like, yeah, yes, it is, it is technically a charge, but you do not make that call, especially in the final second. Because what you're doing is, yeah, like you're allowing VCU to benefit from nothing more than, uh, you know, a, a play designed to create that moment. But also you're taking you're, – you're actually taking a loss and making it a win. I know he had to make the free throws, but you're taking a loss and you're making it a win because you know without that that call, what happens? VCU inbounds, they they throw up a half court shot, it misses, it's over. So I'm with I'm with you in the sense that I understand where you're coming from, and literally every coach I heard from said that that is a horse, you know what call should not make that call under any circumstances. The one before I struggle with a little more. For folks who didn't see it, they were at St. Bonaventure. Uh, The Bonnies hit a three, less than a second left. And um, a security guard grabbed the basketball and started walking with it and was trying to keep students off the floor, fans off the floor. Well, VCU argued successfully that, hey, there's still time on the clock, and we're trying to inbound the ball, and somebody who works for VCU – Or or no, uh, VCU argued, rather, that, um, uh, hey, there's still time on the clock. We are trying to inbound while St. Bonaventure is celebrating prematurely. And we can't get the ball because somebody who works for St. Bonaventure has got the ball. And he's walking away. And by the time we get the ball, there's all people all over the court. Like, you can't have a game in like that. And by definition, or at least by the rule book, you have to assess the technical vow. It sucks because it really did take a, a an L and turn it into a W. Like it, it literally changed the outcome of the game. That security guard grabbing the ball, but the alternative to calling the technical would be not allowing VCU to have whatever long shot they might have had to actually do something. It 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 makes them not have it. And and you know, I, I guess if you tear up the rule book, you could say, listen, we'll just. We'll replay it. Like, okay, we'll put .4 on the clock. Now you can inbound. But if you're Will Wade, what you argue is, no, 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 no. Now they got time to set up their defense, prepare for us. We were trying to get the ball out of the net and go right then. They stripped us of that opportunity, call the technical foul. And, like, so I hate it in the sense that I, I think it sucks every time you a call t- turns a loss into a win or a win into a loss. But I don't know how the officials, how else they were supposed to handle that particular moment.
1: Fair, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like it either way. Uh, but and it's just so bizarre. Yeah, no, same it's team. bizarre. Same, same, same team. team in a matter of days, yes. and both of the same amount of time on the clock.
0: Weird. Yeah, five days, a span of five days. Team falls behind with less than a half a second on the clock in regulation, and they end up winning both games. Again, I don't even know how you research such a thing, but I can't imagine. That has ever happened before. Second part of Brian's question that he asked on Twitter. Uh, what do you think Devin Downey's favorite appetizer is? Okay. Uh, shout I
1: mean, out. There's, there's shout shout out. out that I'm not shout out.
0: Shout out. Shout out to Devin Downey. What's the joke? You got a joke? If you got a joke, provide
1: it. No, I'm saying like this. Is there a punchline here that I'm, not,
0: that I'm not getting? No, he just was curious if we had any idea what Devin Downey's favorite appetizer might be. I don't know for sure. Never talked to Devin Downey about this. I would guess. It's just a
1: guess. I'd guess – potato skins. Okay, let's do a real quick impromptu top 4 appetizer power ranking. This is off the top of my head. I go in no order. I go Mott sticks. Woo, I love I go, them. I go, I go I, I'm 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 talking uh I'm I'm talking like this is both like at a restaurant or when like when like you're at a wedding. You know what I love? I love stuffed mushrooms. So we're going that. No, get out of my face with that. Oh, come on. Now stuffed mushrooms incredibly underrated. Uh I'm going I'm going crab cakes. And man, I'm I'm gonna miss a really good one in here. It's gonna drive me nuts. And then, jeez, uh, what is my fourth one gonna be for an app? Oh, I, I can't go spinach artichoke dip because it's too much of a wild card here. Uh, GP, GP, I'm dying here. Um, the fourth app, my go-to, is. Does shrimp cocktail count as an appetizer? You're damn right it does. <laughs> oh no, then that's that's <laughs> number one with a bullet. Uh, number one, better than mozzarella sticks? Yeah, I love I I love shrimp cocktail with like a really really good cocktail sauce. But mozzarella sticks, it's 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 hard to beat. I know.
0: I love mozzarella sticks so much. Like they're so good. Why are they so good?
1: You can eat like 25 of them. It's bad. And when you think about what it is, it's just like. Not exactly the healthiest thing, but whatever, man. Get a nice little marinara going. What else? All right, what else you got?
0: Okay, I am looking at the Applebee's
1: appetizer right, menu. That's, that's your mistake right there. Get get out of here.
0: Well, that's like the most basic where you can just get normal appetizers. Place you you're anti Applebee's? I'm like I'm, I don't love Applebee's. See, but. I,
1: I spent two years working at an Applebee's, so um, take that as as you will.
0: Okay, mozzarella sticks is number one. How do you feel about? Like a, a a quesadilla. Like, is that an appetizer? No, it's not, is it? It's on the uh, appetizer menu, yeah. but it's not an appetizer. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's a... What do you, how do you feel about just nachos? Just your basic nachos?
1: No, no. How, how about this, GP? How do you think about like, uh, I think a common answer people would say like pigs in a blanket. What, what are you thinking about that? I'm not against those. I'll, I'll have one.
0: I'm not against that's it. A nice little. I'm not going to order it over, over a mozzarella stick, but I'll enjoy it if you if you have them laying out there. How about
1: like a, a jalapeno popper?
0: Love them. Woo! Love them. That would be number two maybe. Cheese sticks and then jalapeno
1: poppers. Do you love jalapeno poppers? I, I do, but sometimes it can be a little tricky because you you take the wrong bite and, and you got a really messy situation on your hand. You got jalapeno squirting into your eye. It's, it, it can be <laughs> trouble. Hold on, man. You you, you squirt a jalapeno in your own eyeball? It's, it's definitely happened with a jalapeno popper. That's half the battle. You're I taking st- on a seriously risky situation. You always got to be careful, dude. I stuck a jalapeno, and, the, and then the cream cheese is like 400 degrees inside of these. It's so hot, They're good, it's so hot. But yeah, I stuck a jalapeno.
0: I stuck a jalapeno when I was a younger man. Stuck yes, we we have talked about this on the podcast. Stuck yes. a jalapeno straight into my eyeball on a dare. I know one yeah. of your shining. You have no idea how badly that hurts. I thought I was going blind. Like it hurts so much. I I really couldn't see. Like I thought I thought I'd lost sight in my right eye forever. It hurts so yeah. much. I think David Devin Downey's appetizer favorite, probably potato skins. Ask me why. Go ahead and ask me why. Why, GP? Because potato skins are loaded like a Devin Downey box score. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Like a Devin Downey box score. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. Did you go visit Chester, South Carolina?
1: Not even close.
0: Mistake? That's your next mistake.
1: I will have regret like this for a long time. All yes. right, let's let's hit on this weekend stuff here, buddy.
0: It's Saturday we got two games between uh, nationally ranked opponents. We'll take the one that uh, happens in the afternoon first, and I believe it's the afternoon. If it's not, just uh, check your own schedules. But it's Villanova at Xavier. Is Villanova at risk when they go to Cincinnati to play the Edmund Sumnerless Musketeers?
1: They yes, oh. I am. Thinking Xavier straight
0: <laughs> up. No, people told me to stop doing that. I'm not doing that anymore.
1: Yeah, because you're off straight up, Judy. I, however, am still not because you've lost like five in a row. So you're off straight up, without a doubt. You're done. But I am taking Xavier to beat Villanova on its home floor. Give it to me. <laughs> oh, what are dude, you thinking? Stop
0: telling me to give
1: it to you, you weirdo. Give it to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I uh, No, I think Villanova wins. I think Villanova wins. They've been in hostile environments. Uh, previously, and they've handled uh, most of them uh, okay. You know, they, they won at Purdue. If you can win at Purdue, and I know that was like a million years ago, but if you can win at Purdue, um, you can win. Uh, if you can win at Creighton, then you can win at Xavier, especially when Xavier is still adjusting to life without Edmund Sumner. Although I should point out, they're adjusting well. Like, you know, Creighton had like this little stretch where, and it might just be a, a never-ending stretch, uh, where it, it didn't it didn't look right without Maurice Watson like you know uh, Xavier to 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 date like they haven't lost since Edmund went down and it doesn't mean they're the same team without him that they were with him it just means that they're they're adjusting okay and uh so I give them a chance obviously but gun to head if I had to pick one team in that uh game I'd take Villanova uh to win again and uh further enhance their lead in the uh Big East and then of course the nightcap which is going to be tremendous Gonzaga at St. Mary's the Zags, of course, are undefeated, ranked number one in the country. I believe they're 25 and 0 now, with 22 double-digit victories, plus a win over Florida, plus a win over Arizona. Did they take their first L Saturday night, or uh, does St. Mary's uh, uh, lose again, fall to 0 and 2 against the Zags, and uh, people start to question what exactly have they done all season?
1: St. Mary's 69. Ooh. Gonzaga 67. Oh, wow. You're taking, you're, you're taking St. Mary's. Mary's. I am taking St. Mary's. That's a good little gym out there. And it would be great for college basketball to have another undefeated team. It would be make for three out of four years. And if Gonzaga wins this game, it will finish the regular season without a loss. I do think St. Mary's is good enough to do this. I think they'll be able to score with them. They're obviously going to try and severely slow this game down, but I actually think that Gonzaga might be able to push a little bit of tempo there, get the game into, whereas I think St. Mary's would be fine if this was like low 60s. I think Gonzaga will still be able to get it going. I, I find St. Mary's to be even a little bit undervalued at this point. This win, by the way, if, if St. Mary's can get it, would do wonders for its profile resume as well. Getting a, a defeat over Gonzaga would... Essentially, in my opinion, because I don't, I don't expect St. Mary's really to lose again in league play either. Um, not even at BYU. So I, I really think it would borderline guarantee St. Mary's to be a five seed at worst if they can get the win. That's a, it's a matter if they can. My guess is you are definitely thinking Gonzaga. Not only that, are you thinking Gonzaga by like more than seven or eight points? No, I think Gonzaga wins a close game, but I do think Gonzaga wins. I, 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 lo- I really like that team. I think they're deserving of the number
0: one ranking top five offense, top five defense, uh, solid, you know, basically at every position. I don't think they're merely ranked number one because they play in the West coast conference, which means they, uh, don't have to play an ACC schedule or a big 12 schedule. I'm not pretending that they'd be undefeated if they played in, you know, uh, basically any, you know, power five league or the big East, or maybe even the American athletic conference. Um, but I think they could they could play at the top of any league in the country. They're legit. Um, doesn't mean they'll go to the Final Four for the first time. It just means that they have an opportunity to a good opportunity. And I do not think that their undefeated season uh, uh, will uh, be over with come Saturday night. The way you phrased it, I think, is accurate. Like, St. Mary's is good enough. Yes, St. Mary's is good enough to win this game. And I think St. Mary's is a legitimate top 25 team. Um, But I I do not think they're going to beat the Gales. I mean, they're going to beat the Zags on uh, Saturday night. But keep in mind, I'm wrong about this stuff all the time. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care. Bye.